Pastor Arden Hodgins come and open the word of God to us. Good morning. As chairman of the GA planning committee, if I had known that this was going to happen, I would have engineered everything so that I could have more than just 20 minutes. Uh, but uh, I'll do the best I can this morning. And I trust that this would fit under the category of a devotional. Most of us here, I think, are pastors, ministers of local flocks. And uh, so this is particularly targeted at that particular calling. And I'd like for us to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we find in verses 28 and 29 something of a synopsis, I think, of the pastoral ministry. Certainly not an exhaustive statement on the part of Paul, uh, but it is um, comprehensive and to some extent, and it contains more than what immediately meets the eye concerning the pastoral ministry. I'd like to just point out six things about the pastoral ministry, nothing, of course, that you haven't heard before. And one uh, one of the struggles that I face, and perhaps you're like myself, is that Oftentimes when a message is being prepared and it's finished and you're just about ready to preach it, you begin to have these nagging thoughts. Well, this is nothing new. This is everyone's heard this before. Everyone uh, is going to think, well, that's quite the vanilla sermon, isn't it? Uh, uh, And yet I think that that is something that we need to resist because um, I would be more worried if I had the temptation to do something novel. Uh, We need to be put into remembrance of these things, which we already know. And I trust that it will be timely for for most, if not all of you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29 reads, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, just by way of introduction, I do think that Paul is not just referring to himself. I don't think that this is a a synopsis of the Christian ministry in terms of just Paul himself, because he says, him we preach. And so that uh, first person plural tells me that he's referring not just to himself in this verse, but also to those who are laboring alongside of him, such as Timothy, whom he names at the beginning of the epistle, and also all of the other pastors who had been ordained in the various churches which had been planted in his ministry. It's a, it's a text for all of those who are called to the Christian ministry. Uh, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, uh, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want us to notice then six things from this text regarding the pastoral ministry. They all begin with the letter M. There's the message, the method, the manner, the motive, the means, and the might of the pastoral ministry. And first of all, the message, which is obvious, he says, Him, Him we proclaim, Him we preach, Him we announce and make known. And in verse 27, we know who the Him is, It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. He says that we preach Christ, and I think that in the context of Colossians and the particular uh, rather nebulous error that we're still uncertain of uh, that was circulating at that time in that church, 
but he was addressing that error, and the error was uh, something to do with various mediators between man and God, Jesus just simply being one of many, uh, the Colossian error. Uh, A.T. Robertson called it the Gnostic depreciation of Christ. And so you see the theme of Colossians is all about the preeminence of Christ uh, and to create other kinds of mediators between God and man or to emphasize other kinds of subjects uh, that may indeed in and of themselves be good. and Some of them aren't. They still have the tendency to take away from the preeminence of Jesus Christ in our preaching. And so he in the Greek uh, order of words here, the word him is is actually in a emphatic position him as opposed to other persons and other things we proclaim and evidently in Colossae there were false teachers going around in that valley amongst the different churches there teaching things such as touch not taste not handle not asceticism severity to the body fascination with angels experiencing and uh, sharing their own personal visions chapter 2 verses 18 through 19 and against these Paul warns and says that they have they've made other things central rather than Jesus Christ so in contrast to that he says that the true gospel ministry is one in which focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ I think that uh, churches today obviously we can see how Christ has been marginalized um, with all sorts of other kinds of activities and subjects and emphases. But even within churches, our own churches perhaps, even within churches that uh, are under the banner of Reformed, can oftentimes very slowly begin to find their identity in something other than Jesus Christ. And I think that we um, probably are familiar with certain churches that the first thing that comes into our mind is not so much that's a church where I know if I go there, I'm going to hear Christ glorified and preached. But I'm going to hear about uh, the evils of public school and the virtues of homeschool only. Uh, politics oftentimes takes a center place in preaching. Social reform and community building. Even creationism versus evolutionism. Courtship versus dating. Anti-McDonald's and Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> King James only. Um, brethren, these, no matter how virtuous any of these secondary issues are, they're, they're secondary at best. And at worst, they can oftentimes uh, depreciate from Christ and his preeminence. We need to be careful, no matter what the latest fad is, no matter what book we've recently read, no matter the pressures we feel from people that come from the outside wanting us to emphasize this or that, we need to keep Christ central in all of our preaching. This uh, epistle of Colossians is a, is a wonderful model of Christ-centered preaching. If you're familiar with the epistle, you'll know that Paul preaches Christ as the king of the kingdom of God, as the image of the invisible God, as the creator of all things in heaven and earth, visible or invisible, the sustainer of all creation by whom all things are held together, the head of the body, the church, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the one through whose blood shedding reconciliation has been accomplished between God and man, the indwelling one who is the hope of glory, the one in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As the head and rule and all authority as the one to whom we are united and whom we are made alive and through whom our criminal legal record is, is stamped righteous, as the one who through his death and resurrection has triumphed over the disarmed 
rulers and authorities, having put them to open shame, the one who is seated at the right hand of God and we with him, the one who will once again appear and will cause us to appear with him in glory, the one who grants peace to our hearts and to our congregations, the one whose word, when it dwells within us richly, produces wisdom, thankfulness, singing, the one we are to serve and to honor even in all of our earthly relationships, whether it be our marriage, our homes, and the workplace. Wow. The whole thing is all about Christ. Christ is, in a sense, to Paul, the beginning, the middle, and the end of all of the preaching that he did. He's the beginning because it's his word. So he's the source of the information and the proclamation that uh, Paul preached. He's the middle because it is through his blood that we receive forgiveness for our transgressions of not obeying his word. And it is through the power of his spirit that we're enabled to keep his commandments. And he is the end of the preaching because it is for his glory and to be conformed to his image that we do all of these things. Of him, through him, and to him is all or should be all of our preaching. Samuel Rutherford said, next to Christ, I have one joy, to preach Christ. So there's the message of the pastoral ministry. Secondly, we see the method of the pastoral ministry. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. So there's two words there, warning and teaching. The word warning is the same word that could be translated admonishing, admonition, nuthatuntes. Uh, and this is part, but not all, of the method of preaching, as far as Paul was concerned. There is also teaching. There's warning and teaching. Warning or admonishing doesn't have so much to do with telling people what they don't know. It has to do with telling people what they already know and pressing it upon their consciences to be more consistent in their behavior and in their thinking with what they already know. So it's a, it's a kind of thing where you're bringing to remembrance the things that they already know and that they need to hear again. As Paul said, to write the same things to you for me is not irksome and for you it is safe. And as I mentioned in the introduction, this is a, this is a temptation that will face us as pastors time and time again where we'll want to preach something new. But we have to remember that half and maybe even more than half of our ministry is simply to stir up the memories of our people so that they will put into practice that which they've already been told. And uh, I have no problem, no problem preaching sermons that I've done before. Um, do you have a problem playing a, a song on a CD more than once? Uh, and how much more with a sermon uh, when you sense as a pastor that the people need to be put into remembrance of it. Now, there's different ways of saying the same thing, but we need to be careful that we don't fall into that rut of trying to always come up with something novel, but rather to admonish. We should and we must. And then there's this other aspect of the method, and that's teaching. This, more, this has to do with teaching people things that they may know, but also enhancing their knowledge and also teaching them new things out of the Word of God, uh, directing your message to the intellect. The pastor ought to be warning, admonishing, putting in remembrance, but also teaching. 
And this is a balance which many have failed to maintain. There are those who are always admonishing. I guess you could say they're always emphasizing the imperatives. And yet they fail in giving the indicatives of teaching. And we need both. Without the imperative, if all we do is teach the indicative, what is true, then that tends to lead toward a kind of um, uh, bare intellectualism, which can also lead to a form of pride and complacency. On the other hand, if we emphasize imperatives without the indicatives, and we're always admonishing and always warning and always uh, rebuking, well, then that leads to a kind of moralism or legalism where we uh, either foster pride in those who think they're doing a good job or we foster discouragement amongst those who see that they're failing. So we need to remember to be balanced in this way, to preach Christ and who we are in Christ, the indicative, and then also at the same time the imperatives that are demanded of us because of our position in Jesus Christ. So we have the message and the method. Now, thirdly, we see the manner of the pastoral ministry. Him we, we proclaim or preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Three things that we can quickly note about the manner of pastoral ministry. It is to, first of all, be extensive. He says everyone. Now, I'm not taking that word to mean everyone in the world. He's speaking about everyone who in God's providence at that particular time is within his sphere of care. And as pastors, we have a defined flock. One of the reasons why we believe in a defined church membership, because we need to know who our sheep are and who they aren't. And uh, we minister to them. But Paul says, those who are under my care, I minister, I preach, I proclaim Christ, I warn them and I teach them, all of them, every one of them extensively. I want to be careful not to let any one of them fall through the cracks. Even the least of the brethren I need to be concerned about. And we need to remind ourselves as pastors that there are certain people we gravitate to in the church. Jesus gravitated toward uh, Peter, James, and John. He had an inner circle. There are some people that we, um, we like. We're to love all the brethren. There's some we like. And uh, <laughs> we like to hang out with those people, and sometimes it leads to a sort of neglect of the others uh, who also need our attention as pastors. And we need to be careful that we don't um, neglect even the least. There needs to be something in our preaching that is for everyone, not just solid meat for those who are the strong and who are mature, but also for milk for those who are new to the faith and who are growing perhaps at a slower rate. We need to have a suitable portion for each and every person that we minister to. And then secondly, it's to be intensive, not just extensive, but intensive. That is to each and every one. There needs to be an individualization of our pastoring of our people. Uh, this is why as the church grows, we, we should be praying that the Lord would also increase the the size of the eldership, because it's impossible for one man to be able to individually deal with each one of the sheep as as shepherds ought to do. The sheep should know his sheep and he should be among his sheep and he should be able to deal with each and every one uh, according to their own particular needs, their own particular quirks, 
their own particular uh, set of baggage that they bring with them, their sins. And so we need to be like our good shepherd who leaves the ninety and nine on occasion to go after the one. And then thirdly, in terms of the manner of pastoral ministry, Paul says it is to be with all wisdom. With all wisdom. Now, we don't come into this world with wisdom. We don't have wisdom inherently. And in fact, even if there comes a point in our Christian experience where we've prayed for wisdom, we've sought wisdom from Scripture, uh, from Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and some degree of wisdom has been granted to us, uh, even then we are susceptible to losing that wisdom. Look at Solomon, case in point. Where did his wisdom go? We're leaky vessels, just like the people we preach to, and so therefore there needs to be a constant uh, recognition of our dependence upon the Lord for ever-sustaining wisdom from Him in order to adequately uh, preach in the way that we ought to preach and to deal even one-on-one with our sheep as he calls us to do. Who is sufficient? We're not. We need his wisdom. So we have the message, the method, the manner. Now, fourthly, the motive of the pastoral ministry is also brought out here. And what I mean by motive is, is goal or end or our intention. What should it be? He says in verse 29... In or, or verse 28, in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ, complete, mature. Now, that's obviously, uh, in its ultimate sense, not going to happen in this life. We're, we're not going to see perfection uh, in this life, but that is to be our goal. And there can be in this life at least some degree of maturity and conformity to the image of Christ. And that is what the pastor's goal is to be in the preaching and teaching of God's Word and in the overall ministry. Paul has already used this idea, by the way, in verse 21 and 22, where he reads, where it reads, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ's work is for the purpose, or it's in order to, present to himself a people, a church, a bride, that is holy and blameless. And now Paul is repeating that same phrase in verse 28, saying that this is his personal goal. In other words, the agenda of Christ is to have his people be mature, pure, blameless. Um, It's the purification that is taking place between now and now. And uh, the not yet, the already and the not yet. And Paul says, my goal as a pastor is to be on the same page with my Lord Jesus Christ. I am to work with him. In fact, I am a tool in his hand in order to bring about this, this washing, this purification, this sanctification, this uh, maturity that Christ is working in them. That's a pretty awesome thought that, that we as flawed as we are as men, uh, should be used by Christ to bring about, or at least to be useful in the development and maturity of God's people. And so that's our goal. I've had people come up to me before, sometimes even within our own church, and they've asked me, usually at the end of the year or the beginning of a new year, 
they've asked me, so, Pastor, what are your, what are your goals for our church this year? And um, to one person, I, I said, well, my goal has never changed. I don't have new goals, and I hope that I never do. My goal has, is, is now what it has always been. And I took them to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. My goal is that I may present everyone mature in Christ. Um, I think too much of the CEO mentality comes into the church today, and we have this idea that we need to set goals and even, even predict how many people are going to join the church and how many churches we're going to go out and plant. Uh, and I think sometimes we, we lose sight of what really is our immediate responsibility as, as pastors, and that is to see that our flock, each and every one of them, come to maturity in Christ. The same idea is, is uh, said by Paul in Ephesians 4 in the whole context of the ministry of the Word. Um, our goal should not be that people like us. I really like when people like me. And uh, I think it was in the same conversation with the same person that I told him that I, I, one of my goals is to try to maintain unity uh, in this church to keep us together. I'd like to see us grow numerically. Um, I would love for people in the process of my preaching not to go away offended. But all of those things may or may not happen. Uh, that's really up to the blessing of the Lord. But I must stick to the responsibility that's been given to me. And oftentimes in the pursuit of the maturity of your sheep, they're not going to like you. So we have the message, the method, the manner, the motive, fifthly, the means of the pastoral ministry. He says in verse 29, for this I toil struggling, for this I toil struggling. The word translated toil could also be translated labor, and it has the idea of growing weary from labor. So it's not just easy labor, it's difficult. And then the word struggling, the root word there is agon which means a contest, usually with reference to wrestling, you know, wrestling in a, a wrestling match. And so there's this agonizing in competition, as it were, uh, that is being referred to here. And so you have uh, laboring unto toil and uh, agonizing and wrestling. The pastor feels weary in his work. And if you feel weary, that's exactly how you're supposed to feel. I'm so tired. Well, what else? What did you expect? <laughs> in fact, uh, the Puritan John Davenant on his, in his commentary on Colossians says, they who prosper, or though, excuse me, though they who propose to themselves ease, pleasure, riches, or honor are not suited for the ministry of the gospel. So what did you sign up for? Um, and if, it, if labor wasn't part of the equation, then you, you perhaps should rethink your calling. But all of these things, the message, the method, the manner, the motive, the means, leads us to ask the question, who is sufficient for these things? We're certainly not. And so I'm very thankful for what Paul adds at the end of verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. He doesn't say, I'm doing this with all my might, because I have none. <laughs> it's all with all his energy. That he powerfully works within me. That word there, powerfully, is the Greek word dunamis. It is the energy of God. It's, 
It's supernatural might. And that's the last point is the might of the pastoral ministry. It's not ours. It is Christ's within us. This job requires superhuman strength. Uh, I'm I'm sure that if any of the wives of the pastors here today were interviewed concerning their husband and were told that they could have they could be honest and open about er everything that they see about their husband's weaknesses, warts and all, uh, they they would probably go away saying, I don't know how this man is able to uh, undergo the pressures, uh, the constant pressures of the ministry apart from uh, apart from the grace and strength of God. Now, when we realize that it requires superhuman, supernatural power from God himself to continue in this task, that leads to three things, and I'll just close with these. It means that no one should enter the pastoral ministry relying on his own strength or ability. And you might say, well, I don't rely on my own strength. But one of the tests as to whether a person is relying on their own strength or not is their prayer life. Those who neglect prayer are in that neglect basically saying, I don't need, I don't need this supernatural strength. I can do this on my own. Or worse, they're just taking it for granted that the Lord will give them everything they need without prayer. But God has revealed himself otherwise. He wants us. He wants us to inquire of him. He wants us to come to him. Because it's in coming to him and having that strength granted to us in answer to our prayers that keeps us humble and makes us realize that our strength comes from him. Before we speak to men about God, we need to be speaking to God about men. This also means, secondly, that no one who is truly called to the pastoral ministry should turn away in fear of being inadequate. Well, I'm not inadequate, but if you're truly called to the gospel ministry, internally, externally, yes, you're going to feel inadequate. That is, that should be no discouragement because the adequacy comes from the Lord. He's called you to an impossible task, but he who is faithful, who has called you, will also cause you to do it and to fulfill the calling that he's given you. It's his energy powerfully working within you. And thirdly and lastly, when a pastor meets with success in his ministry, he mustn't take credit to himself. If it's God's power, the Lord's power working in us, his energy, uh, how dare we take credit, even secretly in our own hearts. R.B. Kuyper once said, the minister who preaches for his own glory rather than God's glory is guilty of idolatry. But so is the minister who preaches for God's glory and his own. It's not just those who preach rather, but even those who want to share in the glory with God. The pastor must acknowledge that from his heart that all the success he has in his ministry is solely owing to the supernatural might and power of Christ without whom we can do nothing. Well, I trust these considerations are timely and in some small way will Help us return back to our flocks with greater commitment, renewal, and uh, humility in our callings. Amen.